Hello, this is your host, James Kent. I'm the movie Morlock. Welcome to the program. Uh, you know, it was almost uh, three years doing uh, stuff we've seen and never had a uh, piece of intro music. Uh, that was the, the sort of the joke that uh, Teal and I had. And then here it is. This is the third episode, but only two episodes in. And I already had theme music. If you uh, caught the last program that I did with... Uh, what Shannon watched, I had a new piece of music, and uh, new to me, I don't think it's brand brand new, but it was uh, donated uh, generously uh, from a listener uh, who's also been a guest on the show previously when it was Stuff We've Seen. This gentleman is a, uh, well, he's, he's a, a songwriter, singer, and he is a, uh, a vocal talent, does audiobooks, and he's also been in a few movies. Uh, again, Big, big fan right over here. Uh, and I'm very gracious that not only did he donate a, a song to me to use for the intro for the program, but he is with me uh, in spirit. I guess he's virtual today, but uh, <laughs> it is the great uh, Craig Wasson, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. There he is. Well, thank you. You are the great James Kent, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you using that that music too, because it it was originally written for a production at the Circle in the Square on Broadway in New York back in like 73 or 4. And it was uh, for the production that George C. Scott uh, directed and starred in The Death of a Salesman. So it has really not been anywhere since. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that, that it worked for you, man. Thanks for using it. I really, I love to think of that music being heard again. You know, well, well you'll hear it when you hear this episode, <laughs> um, and and then again going forward until such time that you're like, you know what? I think he needs a different uh, theme music, and then you give me another piece of music to use, and I'll use. I'd that. be happy to. Be happy <laughs> to at any time. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so Craig, it, it feels like it was a like a super long time ago when we spoke, um, yeah. and it really kind of was. It was the very beginning of this year, and boy, what a long year this has been. <laughs> you said it. I'll tell you. Was it this year? It feels almost like last year. I, it was the very, 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 very beginning of this year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's it was right at the beginning of January that we spoke. So that was a good way to kick off the year. It was. It seemed like this year was just going to be smooth sailing, <laughs> but uh, you <laughs> well, know, uh, yeah. life was a little different. But uh, yeah, it, hey, look, we you know, guys, I feel like this year has been better than the year before. So you know, yeah. maybe twenty twenty two will be the big year. <laughs> Let's keep this trend going. Yeah. Um, so how you been? I've been good, my friend. I've been up in the woods, you know, uh, for the summer. It's beautiful up here. I don't do much. Uh, uh, I did do an audio book called uh, Widespread Panic by James Elroy. That's the only, you know, uh, professional gig that I did. But other than that, I did done a lot of reading and really enjoy listening to your podcast too. You and Teal and then you, of course, you and Billy and you on your own. Uh, as long as you're there, I'm really enjoying it. I think <laughs> yeah. You do a great job. <laughs> um, now, when you do this audio book, you did that while you're he at your at your uh, sort of uh, summer home. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't do it in my home. I, I go down to Boise, which is the nearest sort of you know major metropolis, which it really it's becoming, but it really isn't. But uh, yeah, they have a nice studio down there that I go and then I talk to the director who's calling in from New York. You know. Wow, that's crazy. That is crazy. Well, nowadays you can pretty much do stuff like this anywhere. I love it. You, as you were saying earlier, you know, the technology is just beyond anything we could have imagined as kids. Yeah. I mean, so what we were talking as we were getting set up and working through a few uh, technical challenges to, to get you on, <laughs> on, on, on the line here. Uh, I was just amazed that uh, as a kid, I don't think I could imagine a scenario, right? Well, like, like when I was watching movies, when I was watching you in films like Body Double, I don't think I could have imagined a scenario where through random events and technology, I would then one day be just talking to you via the internet. You know, that's pretty wild. <laughs> it's a win-win, that's for sure. And I'm going to guarantee you, I'm going to put money down, right, on the craps table that there is no way you ever imagined a scenario when you were doing body double that someday you would be talking to me. I wish I'd known you then, but I didn't even know you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's funny with, with your uh, film career. And again, we talked about this a lot on, on our first programs, which people can go back to, um, you know, again, stuff we've seen has now morphed into the movie Morlock. But if you're a subscriber, you can still get all those episodes. They're all attached. And 
one of the things that just amazes me is that, you know, you, you, you were always great in everything that you're in, but I feel like you always had a misfortune where you had these projects that I don't know if it wasn't the right, the right place at the right time, but they weren't the hits that they probably should have been. And one film that we're going to talk about today is a movie that really, it never got its due because it really, it didn't even really get released. And it's a pretty amazing movie that I was fortunate enough to see. And that's this 1979 movie called The Outsider. Yeah. The Outsider. Yeah. We, it's about uh, the troubles in Ireland, you know, and at that time they were still going on full steam, you know? Yeah. And um, it's, it's quite heavily political this movie and it not so much that it takes one side or the other but it exposes both sides you might say so both sides didn't really like the film right which was a recipe for for danger <laughs> <laughs> yes and i mean they didn't like it i mean extremely you know in political terms and so there was there were threats to the production that uh, you know if this showed anywhere there was going to be a uh, Bad things would happen. Yeah, I mean, in that in that time when I mean, if The Outsider was 1979, it was probably trying to show at festivals and get a release. Uh, I mean, bombings were happening, you yeah. know, in England. So yeah. <laughs> that's uh, you know, that's that would be uh, troubling. And uh, the thing about this movie, The Outsider, which when I was doing research when we first had you on the program. I like I said I was like oh I don't know what this is never heard of it and it just never plays anywhere I don't know where I could even see this and then over the summer uh, when I was doing episodes with my buddy Bill he texted me and said hey on Hulu the outsider is available and I watched it now now Bill has a big Irish background he's an Irish guy Irish American but yeah. he spent time in Ireland. Um, knows it very well. His wife and her family is very, very Irish. Um, so he has a lot of roots. And, and so that subject matter is always interesting to him. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited. I was like, I got to watch this movie. You know, I don't even know what I was expecting, but I was kind of blown away by the movie because it is very gritty and it has this documentary feel to it. And then again, when a movie that is kind of shot in and around the time when the troubles were still existing, mm -hmm. that this film has just been lost to time and not exposed. I, you know, it's kind of a, a revelation because I get to watch a story that we don't have a lot of films. I mean, there are some, but there aren't many films that even cover the subject matter. Right. You know, we have, uh, you know, I think one of the more recent uh, movies was, and it's not even that recent, it was several years ago, was director, British director Steve McQueen's the hunger there, um, Bobby Sands and the hunger strike. It's really um, a pretty amazing film, but it's very focused on one aspect of, of the troubles. And then, uh, you know, there was uh, in the early 90s or the, yeah, early 90s was Jim Sheridan's In the Name of the Father. You know, what I watched yesterday was uh, Michael Collins. Uh, with Liam Neeson. And then there's Michael Collins. That kind of is like an earlier, it tells, you know, the kind of the origins, right? Of yeah. The, of the yeah. conflict. 1916. Exactly. So there's, and it's interesting because that ties into The Outsider because you play uh, a disillusioned, I guess, Vietnam vet. He's come back recently from Vietnam yeah. and you have a strong connection to your grandfather who spent time in Ireland during the Michael Collins times. And right. it sounded like he was like maybe working for the cause and working for Michael Collins. And you probably grew up hearing stories uh, from your grandfather, which, you know, through the, through the saga and maybe by the end, you kind of find out that some of these stories weren't always what, what you thought they were, but yeah. you looking for a cause, your, your character, and it kind of starts out, you're already there. You're in Ireland and you are, wanting to work with the IRA, you believe in their cause and you feel like you're willing to do your part and you're actually really hungry to actually get into the, to the mix of things. Yeah. It's interesting that my grandfather's played by Sterling Hayden is an amazing guy. If anybody ever saw, you know, how I learned to love the bomb, you know, Dr. Strangelove, he's the uh, really zealous general, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. worried about the fluoride in the water. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, he plays uh, my grandfather and you can see that, I'm completely uh, obsessed with the idealism that he has communicated with me about being a member of the 
the Sinn Féin, you know, the, the Fenian men, uh, the IRA, that he was there early on and that he did all these brave deeds and uh, courageous uh, uh, military programs. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm disillusioned with what happened in Vietnam. And I'm thinking, I want to dedicate my life, my I want to dedicate my life to something, a cause that means something, you know. So I go over and, and uh, volunteer for the IRA there in Ireland, thinking that I'm going to continue my grandfather's, you know, his his legacy, commitment. Yeah, legacy. That's the word, right? And uh, I remember uh, Tony Lorasky, the director who also wrote it, a great guy. He told me he said, uh, and I'm I don't. It's not a perfect quote, but he said <laughs> <laughs> something like. Most political organizations are, uh, by nature, amoral, and right. they they gain and grow power at the expense of human lives. And that was, I thought, a very unique aspect to this movie that you don't see a lot. And, and I actually thought that the dial, you know, a lot of the problems with films that try to tackle this subject matter, they get kind of boiled down in. I think scripts and dialogue that doesn't sound very realistic, but yeah. the kind of meetings at the table where you have the IRA kind of the head honchos talking about the strategy and how that they see an opportunity to use this young American right. a, a, for their gain. And then you also see similar type discussions <laughs> happening over the British of how Hmm, that this American yeah. there, this could actually help their cause. And so you are now un unknowing, by the way, a, a exactly. pawn in the game. Uh, and in, in both scenarios, your character is meant to die <laughs> right, <laughs> for right. the cause. My greatest contribution is to be, you know, terminated. And I have no <laughs> idea. I'm there like, you know, with all these idealists. And it's, I think it's really brave and uh, honest on the part of the uh, Tony uh, uh, the filmmaker to uh, address this idea you know and weren't the weren't the irish actors fantastic yeah i mean you know the, of course i don't know all the names but there is it's funny you know I, i'm very good for faces and it's amazing when you see somebody much younger than what you knew them as and yeah. it's only towards the beginning there's an actor and yeah you probably wouldn't remember this guy but his name is johnny murphy and he did a lot of films in ireland over the years but people like myself know him because he played this character joey the lips who was like a, a horn player in the commitments this movie about oh. a bunch of kids who are trying in northern ireland trying to create a, a soul band yeah and he's sort of an older mentor guy that comes around and he tells all these stories of playing with all of these great uh, soul musicians even though he's never played with any of them <laughs> and i was shocked to see this i was like oh my god i gotta look him up is that really the, the same guy and it was and then you had other actors that i knew this guy david collins who plays on the british side this major nigel percival oh yes i knew him for years because he played bob cratchit in the uh the, Scro <laughs> the scrooge musical uh with albert finney i mean you know that movie's on every year i watched it i love it but then here's the most amazing the most amazing casting because she didn't she's not in a lot of movies that people would know but she's in <laughs> one movie that everybody knows oh and yeah playing your love interest in the movie siobhan yeah. is Patricia Quinn from Rocky Horror stuff. was from Rocky Horror and it was amazing <laughs> to see her act in something other than Rocky Horror but it's just you know that's legendary yeah yeah she and you know prior to doing this I hadn't seen a Rocky Horror show wow. but I had a girlfriend at the time who uh, just before I went off to Ireland to do it she wanted to go to one of those midnight showings anyway so she dragged me out and said I don't want to go see this thing and I went and saw it I thought Wow, I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, and of course I remembered her. So when I met her in Ireland, I was uh, uh, quite a fan, and and uh, she said, "Oh, that, you know." But uh, we had a good time working together. Yeah, you're, so you're there in Ireland filming this movie, and I I think you've told me this story via text before, but I think it would be kind of cool. To, to the audiences because it had to have been around the same time just because of the timing of when that movie came out and when yeah. this movie was filmed is yeah. you mentioned that you met briefly right in passing robert mitchum and yeah. i think he was over over there shooting 
this uh, big sleep movie that we've talked about on the program, which yeah, is kind of like this. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so somehow you met him while you were shooting The Outsider. Yeah, we were we were based out of Dublin mainly, uh, shooting this picture, and we used uh, Ardmore Studios, or at that time it was also called National Film Studio, and it was about 20, 30 miles, uh, maybe a little less from downtown Dublin. Um, and we didn't shoot a lot of things there, but there were a couple of interiors that were shot there. But most things were actually shot in the apartments or houses or whatever. You know, there were real locations. But the, the day, first day we went over to that studio, the Irish film studio, I was going to have a dressing room, you know, not, nothing fancy, but just, you know, where I'd sit and get dressed and so forth. And uh, one of the assistant directors pointed me down the hallway, you know, your, your dressing room's down there, the last one on the right. So I went down there, and uh, I didn't think anybody was going to be in there. So I just opened the door, and there was Robert Mitchum. <laughs> he was down to his skivvies. You know, I guess he must have been finishing uh, work for the day or something like that. And and I said, oh, gosh, you know, and he turned around, but his backside was still toward me. And he pulled his underwear down and looked over his right shoulder at me and said, welcome to the big time, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I jumpers, this guy. I you know, I was stunned, and uh, then uh, you know, I said, "Well, excuse me." I closed the door, and that was my that was my my interaction with <laughs> with the great Mitchum. Oh I wish God. I'd had the presence of mind to say something, but I was like twenty three or twenty four years old or something well, like yeah. that. I was I was kind of lost for words. Well, I mean, think about that. I mean, when you're, you're saying you're, you're 23, 24, you're getting to make movies. Yeah. And then, you know, for a 23 or 24-year-old in 1979, someone like Robert Mitchum, I mean, this is a person that you would have seen in movies oh, throughout yeah. your youth. It's It would be, you know, I mean, it's- It's like a giant, like seeing a giant and at, at his most vulnerable. And yet, I was the guy that was vulnerable. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He was- he was still a giant. And, and these guys, so many of the great men that I've worked with, or in this case, just had a brief encounter, they were so cool. It seems like everything they said was classic. You know, that moment, who, who could have said that better than Robert Mitchum? You know, welcome to the big time kid. Well, maybe Burt Lancaster. <laughs> well, he might have said something like that. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so now, so this movie, you know, it, it, was it was, was it a shock to the director, Tony, that once this film was made, they suddenly couldn't get it released? It was a great disappointment. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I think it's really wonderful that it's finally getting some platforms. I've seen it's available on uh, Apple TV. Also, oh, yes, yes, yes. And um, hopefully it's available several places. But I spoke to him last I guess it was around the same time that we spoke, uh, sometime in early this year by phone. He was calling from France. He was saying that it looked like maybe, you know, there was a revival and a chance for people to see the picture. So I guess that's what he was talking about is that some of these platforms are going to pick it up. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to, you know, mention, I was like, wow, once I saw the film, I mean, sometimes, you know, you watch a film because you're curious about it and it's just, oh, it's not that good. And then you're like, hey, I saw it. But when I saw this, I said, you know, this is a, I didn't think that the, the ending was perfect, but I still think that overall, I mean, it was a grip. There's a scene towards the end of the film that is as intense and well-directed as any out there. And it's a scene where they drag a guy who's almost blind. He's a store, the storekeeper, and they're trying yeah. to get information out of him. And the entire scene is super intense, and there's a great reveal in the scene. Um, I don't want to spoil it for people, but it's just really tight. And I think when you walk away with a movie like this, it's shocking that this Tony, this is the only feature that he ever directed as the as the actual director. I mean, he did second unit on Barbarella in the late 60s, but uh, I'm shocked that he didn't go on and do more movies. But I also know that it's not easy to get the chance to uh, put together these projects. Right. And that, that character's name was Finbar, played by uh, Bosco Hogan, plays the, you know, the, the guy who's almost blind. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Laraski, that was his name, Laraski. A great guy. I mean, very, and very intense, you know, and a real, uh, this is one of those movies, uh, when I first got over there, I realized that he was like, this was an important thing he wanted to say. And I think, you know, the, the longer I, I live, the older I get, the more I realized he was really onto something. You know, this idea that 
lots of times that these political movements, one side or the other, like you said earlier there, James, uh, each side starts to cynically think about how can we use this guy to our advantage? And they really don't care that much about what supposedly they stand for. What they're looking for is to increase their power. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a scary thought, but true. There's an ultimate goal that each side has, um, mm-hmm. and your character would be very one small part, and it wouldn't get to an end game for either side, but it's just yeah. they see this as an opportunity. And, you know, again, the journey your character goes through, the disillusionment of discovering <laughs> that you were just a pawn in the yeah. whole thing. And then you have an ultimate reveal towards the end, which is really the gut punch for your character mm-hmm. where, you know, you're completely lost. And I think there's an allegory there as well for kind of the senselessness of the Vietnam War. Uh, yeah. Because your character ultimately was searching for meaning after coming home. And we don't get a lot of uh, details of your experience, your character's experience in Vietnam. But right. it's clear that Vietnam had not like let let its grasp off of you. And so you were searching for something to create meaning that you didn't get, a fulfillment you didn't get, or a mission achieved that you didn't get in Vietnam. Right. And I think Tony is uh, uh, working on the idea that this is just one guy. But it isn't just happening one time, and it isn't just happening to one guy. It's like happening many multiple times to many multiple people in these, in the maw, in the in the jaws of these movements. For for listeners out there, I don't, I haven't checked to see if it's still on Hulu. It was a couple of months ago. So if you're a subscriber to Hulu, you can watch it for free. But like you said, Craig, you could also rent it on Apple TV. Um, And it's probably only a few dollars, but it's to me well worth it because it's just another film that most people would not have heard of. And I really want to shine a spotlight on it because it's, I think it's a a better than average movie. It it really is something that I'm shocked that it should, it should be out there. It should have been something that people were talking about. And maybe now again, it's the, the, the timing is that we're enough removed from the incidents that it is focused on that people can watch it without being, you know, right. Right. I think so. Yeah. And in fact, it's uh, uh, poetry is kind of like that, you know, uh, poetry is once removed from just plain old uh, prose. In fact, the Irish were sort of the kings of poetry in order to tell the truth without the king killing them. Right. (laughs) And so a historical story that's now far enough removed in time and for us geography can talk about the present without having to talk about the present directly by just showing you what has happened in the past. Also, I think that uh, it's available on uh, Prime Video, but you got to look under my name for some reason. I went to look at it again. Just so I would have, you know, fresh memory of, of the film when we spoke. And uh, I think I got it. When I looked up the outside of there, are a bunch of other films that have come out with that name. Yeah, it's hard to, like, right, it's the out the outsider. But, yeah, you mean the first yeah. thing is you type up outsider, you get uh-huh. Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders, and you'll be looking for Craig Wasson in the Sea of Teens. <laughs> didn't even, the film didn't even come up under The Outsider, but it does come up if you enter Craig Wasson. It, it's one of my pictures in prime video that you can see because i just i just did that and found it that way there's no excuse basically listener you now have to go and watch it because you you have have access to everything and then of course you know there's another film that is we've talked about it on on the stuff we've seen program many times uh end with you but for those who still haven't seen it if you have criterion still playing as part of the neo-noir collection you can watch your performance in Body Double. Um, so again, you know, I mean, look, I get it. There's a lot of younger film goers who still haven't seen it, but if you have Criterion, it's a great opportunity to check it out. Good old Brian De Palma. I, I loved your series on neo-noir. That was uh, really exciting. And I, I enjoyed watching After Hours very much. You know, that came out not long after Body Double. And I think that Scorsese, I mean, this is just my opinion, but like, because they're all buddies, you know? Well, yeah. I think that's kind of Scorsese's answer to Brian's body double. You know what I'm saying? That that movie, more than anything, and this is what, I guess, what's successful in a lot of De Palma films, it's it's a style exercise Uh a lot of times. So you have like, you know, the way that the camera is moving and the mood it sets. Mm -hmm. And it does. If you look at those two films, that might be a good pairing because of their close nature. You get a sort of... uh, 
I think when people think of movies in the 80s, there's a certain aesthetic and a look to them. But there's another sort of series of movies from the 80s that have a look and aesthetic to them. And I think that's where Body Double and After Hours is. What are these, you know, known film directing masters? What were they up to in the 80s? Yeah. And uh, the everyman, you know, the everyman that is caught in a circumstance, he, he means well, but there's a kind of a sadistic humor you know, in a weird kind of way, but this poor guy, whether it's Griffin Dunn in After Hours or myself in Body Double, that is caught in circumstances beyond their control and they're trying to do the right thing and it just keeps getting worse and worse, you know? Well, yeah, it's interesting that you say that about After Hours because it is the circumstances in that film really are out of control. I mean, yeah. as soon as he gets in that cab, <laughs> the the wind blows the $20 out oh. of the cab. He, he has lost control. He, he, yeah. he lost control of the money. And then everything else that happens to him, he's trying to – every time he tries to get into control, something else happens that – that gets it back out of control. Yeah. And didn't you say, and it may, you may not have said this on our program, but you may have said this to me offline. Wasn't Griffin Dunn up for the role in Body Double? Yeah, it was between me and him. Wow. And, uh, you know, and he'd been quite successful in, in uh, what is it, the Werewolf movie, you know? Yes, he's in the, yes, in American Werewolf in London. And yeah. Columbia Pictures, who who were the, uh, the uh, studio that was doing Body Double, they wanted, they said, we want that gag. And they're like, this is our guy. And Brian says, nah, nah, I want somebody else. So I guess that somebody else was me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I got a feeling that he and Scorsese had talked about Griffin Dunn too, you know. And uh, Griffin's fantastic. I remember meeting him with Brooke Adams when I was doing, uh, for PBS, they were doing a thing called uh, uh, Mark Twain's Innocence Abroad. And I played Mark Twain. And we were over. It was fantastic. It was like the Grand Tour, which is what Twain did. And we went to all those locations when we made it. So I got to do the Grand Tour, so to speak, of Europe as an actor. It was fantastic. But uh, when we were in Florence, it, this is sort of a long story, but it ties in with Griffin Dunn. I got to meet Griffin. The two of them were uh, staying together at a beautiful hotel in Florence. And Brooke had said, you know what? We found this great place that makes fantastic linen suits on the Ponte Vecchio, Ponte Vecchio, that little bridge there in Florence, you know, over the Arno. And uh, Brooke and I went there together, and she showed me the, and there was a, a tailor and everything. And it was this the nicest suit I ever had in my life was this beautiful kind of light olive, white green uh, suit. And you know what blew my mind was when, as soon as I saw Griffin in After Hours, I said. That's that suit. I'm picturing it in my head. I'm like, oh, don't tell me that he got, because I loved that suit that he wears. It's not my personal suit, but that's the suit that I oh, want. Wow. And then, and that must be the suit that she said, hey, Griffin and I got this beautiful suit for him on this place. I'm thinking, that's the suit from Florence, <laughs> that little shop on the Ponte Vecchio. And, you know, later, I when my wife and I split up, I sold the house and I didn't, you know, I had a whole lot of furniture and pianos and equipment and you know you name it furniture really a lot of stuff and i just loaded up what i could in my uh mazda rx7 you know it has a sort of a hatchback sort of look in the back there and i filled it with a few things guitars and clothing and drove away one of the things i forgot to take was that darn suit <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as i saw that suit on griffin i thought oh got it there's that perfect linen suit that's amazing. I love how this, because I forgot when, because we, we, you know, again, we, we, we exchange messages from uh, on email and yeah. you had not seen After Hours and, no, and you I've just watched it. it. So that must've been a real kick that suddenly oh, you see I this you, thing. I love that movie and I know what you mean too. It's actually, it's a dark comedy and I was laughing through a lot of it. I thought it was hilarious and I could relate. I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, Sometimes the, the harder I try to get along with people, the more I offend them. Have you ever had that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, and it was so funny at that point with, uh, what is the actress's name again? Rosanna Arquette. Oh, she's so beautiful. She is so beautiful. At a certain point, you know, she's kind of wild and, and quirky and he's trying to be real nice. And at one point he like sort of goes off on her. You know what I mean? Hey, you know, I don't need this. 
I don't <laughs> he has to observe, and he's a good listener in the movie. Very. But his, his inside, right, the wheels are turning in his brain, and there's a moment he can't. He has to let these outbursts out, right? He yes. cannot. He can't contain himself anymore, and that's one of the moments where he loses it. And then everything pours out where he goes into that man's apartment and. Oh. And he just is going off and telling his whole story. <laughs> and the other guy. And the other guy's looking at him like, what the? <laughs> well, he thought he was getting to taking him home for a, a night of, of sex. And instead he gets the whole story. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a great, great performance. Yeah. People missing each other all the time. And you know, I have a story about Rosanna. I think I emailed you this. Uh, I was staying at the Chateau Marmont there while I was doing Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. And uh, there was a piano in the in the lobby there, a beautiful piano, and they used to sit there and play music on the piano. I don't play much anymore, but I used to sort of play a little piano, kind of like, like John Lennon did, sort of just chords, you know what I mean? And I would play Imagine and other songs that I'd written and things like that, and it was beautiful acoustics in there. And thankfully, the, the staff would let me play there and uh, just for fun. But one time I, I had finished playing, and there's Rosanna Arquette standing there, and it was... Uh, you know, in person, she's even more stunningly beautiful. And I turned and I and I, I saw her. I'd, I'd seen her in uh, what was what was that movie that I said I'd seen her in? Uh, Desperately seeking Susan. Desperately seeking Susan, right? And so I'd known her from that. I'd uh, seen her in that, and then uh, she said uh, to me, "She said, you know, I'd love to work with you sometime." And I, I'd love to work with you. And then we just sort of stood there looking at each other. And then uh, we went our separate ways. But that Once again, I had a, a brief encounter. Here's the interesting thing, though. And I don't know if you made the connection when you when you ran into her, but you're shooting this Nightmare on Elm Street 3. With her sister. And her sister. But did you know that? Like, did you know? Like, You know, that's something I could have said. Maybe that's why a lot of these uh, movies, like you said, you know, they never panned out or things never panned out. I just, I wasn't really uh, busy pursuing leads the way I should have. Well, here she is right in front of me, wants to do a movie. And I'm like, oh, I'd like to do that too. Okay, bye. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you're in Hollywood. Everyone's like having a chat, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they're like, you know, they're like, I'm sure that there's like sometimes business gets conducted over running into somebody, but other times it's like, oh, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to work. And then it's like, well, maybe we'll work. Maybe we won't work. Oh, together. that's true. I, my idea was that, well, you know, maybe her agent will call my agent or maybe, you know, maybe it'll just happen out of the thin air somehow, you know. You know, I did have somebody ask me this question. Um, yeah. And I, I felt like you talked about it when we, you know, had our conversation last time. But uh, some people like said, why doesn't Craig make movies anymore? And I and I guess, is it definitive that, you know, yeah, you're, you're off doing other things. But the question is, it's, it's not like a conscious retirement or anything. I mean, if the no. right thing came along and someone says, I really would like to work and you like the project, you, you would maybe consider it, right? Oh, yeah. More than consider. I'd probably jump on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, mean, I suppose it is like a lot of time commitment, even if it's a condensed time, right? I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah, I've never minded the work. I, I love the work. I just didn't want to still be down in Los Angeles. It sounds kind of, you know, selfish, and it was selfish. I, number one, I was, you know, out of my mind in love with a woman, and, and that was sort of my main priority. When that ended, I had committed so much to us, to her and myself that I had really, um, my head wasn't in uh, Los Angeles. My head was in Florida where she was. But when that ended, I did go back, you know, a few times and try to make things work. And thank God I, I did have a few pictures, a Port of Art of Squeeze and a couple of others came along and kept me, kept me afloat, so to speak. But the thing is, I just didn't want to go back down there and have to walk into rooms with 22-year-old <laughs> casting directors who, right. who had to prove you know, that I could act. I, it, it seems so strange to be constantly starting from square one after 40 years of, of acting. I guess if somebody kn who knows you, knows your work and has a role and they're going to just give you the role, yeah. that's something more to consider than having to go through the rat race at this point. And I, I would go through the rat race if somebody called me, but I, I'm spoiled in the sense that I'm, I'm secure and, and happy and healthy. And uh, I just don't want to you know, go through the rat race and and chasing the opportunity anymore. You know, 
that's the truth. So it's my own fault for not working. I, I'm not, just not trying to work. You know. I think you've earned the right that at this point, since you don't need, it's like not saying you don't need Hollywood, but like it, it, yeah. if somebody wants the great Craig Wasson in their project. <laughs> I'm not sure should, where the great Craig Wasson lives. Oh, I haven't man, met him you're great to me. I, I, you know what, though, but I said, what, what, you know, you have to evaluate the work. And I'm sure, <laughs> you know, you did a lot of, I, I think in the 90s, I mean, you, you, you did a lot of, uh, is, we'll call it smaller fairs, stuff that, you know, kept you busy and, and things yeah. like that. And they, yeah. they were, you know, a lot of, like, I guess, you know, there's some, I see some actors will be in, like, you look at their credits and they've made like 200 things in the last 15 years and you've never seen any of them, but, you know, they're keeping busy and, yeah. and, and that it probably affords them a nice lifestyle and they probably get to go to a lot of places. And I suppose that if that was what was really of interest to you, you could be doing that too. Yeah. But, you know, you're, you're, what I like is that you are enjoying life. I really am. I, I gotta say, I really do. I, and, you know, sometimes I feel a little guilty because I, I, my life is very, very comfortable. I don't do a lot. I don't buy a lot. I don't, you know, but I enjoy every day. That's the dream that so many people want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my dream. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing is you are living your dream. And, hey, look, if a if a cool project came your way, oh, that yeah. could be part of your dream. You could do it. But that's why so I really like that. Yeah. The doing the picture is the dream. Hustling for a job is the nightmare. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, you're, 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 you're in your summer place. Yeah. Which is funny. It's not like a summer place. People think it's like beaches or something. That's not, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's summer where it keeps it. It's not overly hot there, which is nice. Right. It's a mile high. And, uh, you know, basically it's funny, you know, back when I was first making a living and, and actually getting paid well back in the 1978, 79, my brother and I, my brother lived up here at that time. And uh, I was going to build a house up here. And I thought, well, I'll hire the contractor and have him build the guest house first, see how he does, see if he's honest and so forth. And my brother was the subcontractor on it. So it was, they built this. They built this guest house first, and it, it's a beautiful little thing, but it's small. You know, it's like yeah. one bedroom, one bath, you know, just a little perfect little guest house. And then my wife and I split. So I thought, what do I need a big house for? You know, I, I, I got it. And she didn't want the guest house. So um, she wanted the other house down in LA. So that's another story that ended up being sold. But anyway, so that guest house, so to speak, it turned out I'm the guest. <laughs> I'm, I'm living up here in the guest house, and I love it. You know, and, and thank God I never, I never, you know, expended a whole lot of money to build a big, you know, four, five bedroom, three bathroom house overlooking the valley and with all window in front and all. What, what would I be doing in there banging around by myself? So this little guest house has been sitting here for decades, just waiting for me to return, which I did in 2000. One. Now, what about now you soon, right? We'll be heading back to your other residence in Northern California. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, is that, a, is, is that a situation where you rent a place or you own a place up there? I do. I, I rent a place down there. And that I have, an, again, a woman to thank for that. I'll tell you what, women have been the greatest thing in my life and also the source of the most pain, but also the source. But that's not just me. I think that's every guy alive, right? I mean, the source of the best and and the toughest, uh, but uh, she had taken a trip up uh, Pacific Coast Highway out of Los Angeles on her way up to San Francisco, and, and she came to a little town there, and she really loved it. And I remember talking to her on the phone while she was on that trip, and she just fell in love with that place. So at one point, I'd been going down to Florida for the, uh, for the winters to avoid the snow. I'm not a big, I don't ski or any of that stuff. I don't like the cold that much. So, uh, but that's a long trip. And she says, you know, you ought to, you ought to go to that little town that I found down there in California. And I said, no, well, let's, let's look on uh, vacation rentals by home, see if anything's available. The very first thing at the top of the list in that town, I called that person and I said, you know, I'd like to rent for the whole winter. She said, well, it's, it's already taken, but the following winter it's open. And I said, well, I'll give you a deposit right now for the following winter. But first, let me come up and see it. So I drove up that day, checked it out, met her, saw the little place and uh, made the agreement. And so I've been going down there ever since. It's really nice. Yeah, I've seen pictures of this place and it's really nice. And, uh, you know, did, look, I'm hoping, hoping, and I think there's a good chance that I might get out uh, that way this 2022 uh, oh, in February because of this so. uh, Cambria Film Festival that oh, uh, that'd our, be great. our mutual friend Al, Al Frazier Alan, yeah. uh, is a part of. 
and oh we could have a party couldn't we i'm excited uh well because also i'm like you know it w- i think it would be a fun thing just uh you know even now i'm involved in, the, in these podcasts just a chance to get a chance to talk to some of these filmmakers and their films and definitely i love film festivals don't you i do i haven't really gotten to go to one in many many years oh you're gonna love this one i think that this would be a fun thing um and i haven't seen al in many 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 years um, so it'd be great to see Where did you guys know? Did you know each other out in New York? <laughs> it's funny. If you want to dig back into uh, episodes, yeah. there's an episode that Al did with us on our show a couple of years ago uh, where he was actually talking about the Cambria Festival, the last one that was probably live. Um, and he was kind of getting geared up for it. Yeah. But uh, we knew each other when I graduated from NYU in 92 i went out to la to seek my fame and fortune um and and i found that uh, fame and fortune working at uh, century city's ben and jerry's um, oh my brother (laughs) scooping ice cream uh and uh another another guy who was uh trying to make his way into into films uh was this uh, very tall dude right southern california guy al frazier and he was uh found his fame and fortune scooping ice cream at ben and jerry's (laughs) and uh you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, that was what we did uh, try, while we were trying to like, you know, meet people, sell scripts, what have you. And uh, I worked there for like a year, uh, but but I stayed friends with him uh, ever since. And uh, when I moved back to Massachusetts, there was a time in like the late 90s, he was back. He had some relatives there and uh, met up with him one time. And uh, one time I went to L.A. and met up with him uh, where he was staying, in, I think down in Newport Beach. Um, so we've known each other for a really long time. And then, That's of course, fantastic. things like Facebook make it easy to connect with people again. Yeah. Uh, but he's just like one of the – I remember it was just one of the nicest, most genuine people, you know? He's just a super yeah. nice guy. Um, and I've never met his uh, his wife and, and his son. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to maybe meet them and, uh, you know, again and see movies. So I'm hoping that happens. And I think that you're going to be like seeing movies and stuff there. You bet. And I, it was so nice of him. I mean, he he's the one who put me in touch with you, you know? He said, uh, hey, you know, I think this guy, you know, uh, you ought to talk to him because he does interviews for films and things like that. And, and so Alan put me in touch with you, which is fantastic. And then later, uh, the beginning of the summer, I think it was, he and the other people that run the festival asked me if I wanted to uh, join the board of uh, judges for the films uh, for the Cambria Film Festival. And I was really honored and surprised by that. There's an example of like, you know, oh, wow, that's... Uh, that's a real nice thing. That's a, a beautiful gift. And I love the festival because um, their theme every year, it's not a, not political themes. It's not, you know, it's not taking sides or trying to push a narrative on anybody. Every film is about love and in its various incarnations and the conflict and the, the striving and the aching, yearning desire for love. And it's just great. Every movie is about love, and it's it's just a beautiful thing. Now you're going to be heading out back to California soon. Well, I hope so. I uh, had a, a car accident back in June, believe it or not. But you know, there's so many uh, uh, so many people moving into Idaho. Uh, I guess there are a lot of accidents going on up here because the the local uh, body shop was not able to take my car in until uh, September seventh. Oh my goodness, that's a long wait, right? That is, oh my goodness. The guys here are great though, but I, I'm, I'm just hoping that it'll, that the work will be finished by uh, the time that I was planning on leaving in October. Wow. So you were like, you know, there, there's a movie right there where Greg Watson needs to get back to his, <laughs> his winter digs, but he can't because it. the car was waiting <laughs> for the parts. I think we could pitch this to Scorsese and De Palma and, and we need uh, Griffin Dunn to be the guy driving the other vehicle. <laughs> now, <laughs> now uh, do you have HBO uh, or do you not? Or you know, I, I had have. HBO through Prime, but you know, they, they removed HBO from Prime's platform. Oh, because it's HBO Max now. I don't know why they removed HBO, HBO Max. They, all HBO just disappeared. So I'm going to have to get back and just subscribe directly, I guess. I, the reason I asked if you had it, I was going to make a suggestion of a movie that I saw. Because um, right, right now, because of the pandemic, uh, they're associated with Warner Brothers. They have all their releases. And Warner Brothers is doing like 
showing the same day the movies that they're playing in the theater. They're oh, also, I love it. They're, they're also on HBO for a month, and then they'll come back to HBO. But like it's kind of an exclusive. If you buy this HBO Max, you know, subscription, you're going to get access to these films. I'll do that today. And uh, one of the films, it's not. A, I mean, it's just not a heavy plot-driven movie. It's a very quiet film, but I think you'd really enjoy it. Is Clint Eastwood's new film. Oh, Ma- Cry Macho? Cry Macho, yeah. I've been wanting to see that. I thought it was on uh, Hulu or something. No, no, it's, no, HBO, it's HBO Max. Okay. Yeah. okay. HBO Max, that's what they're calling it now. I mean, it's in theater. I mean, if you have a theater nearby, you could go to no, see it there, but- There's uh, not a single theater here. Yeah, same with me. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, this was my, so about my wife and my oldest and I, we watched it Saturday night. And again, it's just more of a quiet little road movie of sorts. I love him. But there's like a little Western aspect. I think, I just think you're going to, it's not, like I said, is it the greatest movie ever? No, but it's a nice movie. And just to see him at 91 acting and directing, uh, that's I love him, man. I love him. and I I loved him in that Gran Torino. I thought he was great in that too. Yeah. I mean, and that already looked like a swan song because he was in his (laughs) late seventies, but no, (laughs) this guy, he's, uh, he just keeps ticking. I just, I've never seen a a movie where the director is 91 and and he also stars and he's in like, you know, almost every scene. So, you know, the, a lot of people use the term national treasure, but I think that applies to Clint Eastwood. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a soft spot for that, you know, just to see that uh, guy in his career and, you know, you see him and you never know, it could be his last movie, you know, and, or, you know, it could be like another 10 more years of movies. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, who it, knows? It, it was, if, the, if, the, if this was the last film, it was sort of like a nice little swan song, not, you know, not a perfect super plot or anything. It's just a nice little story. Thanks for that recommendation. And I, yeah. I need to take action on that HBO because I want to see. Isn't Secession on HBO? Oh, now I can't because Griffin that. Dunn's on that. He is. Yes, yes, he uh, is on. I think it's season one. Um, he, he plays, he plays this, the lawyer or something. He plays the psychiatrist guy that comes in to help them. Right. And I, I don't want to give away his stuff, but I mean, yeah. It, 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 he's in it. Uh, that that show to me was one of the best shows. I agree, and I love it. And season three is starting in mid October. Oh, that's great to know. I didn't realize. I thought it was going to be early twenty two. I'm no, so glad. No, it's coming. And that's HBO, right? I can't. That got to get HBO. Yep, HBO. Um, and then of course you have Amazon Prime. So I'll throw out one more thing for you, right? Before yeah. Because yeah. I think I just think that as an actor. Who, who has had a career where it wasn't all about like that hustle and grind of trying to make every Hollywood film. And like you said, you did your own path. You might be kind of fascinated by this guy's path. And it's a little bit of a, you know, there's some heartstrings in this uh, only because of his health issues over recent years. But you have to check out that documentary, Val, the Val Kilmer documentary. Oh, Val, yeah. Wasn't he incredible in the doors? I mean, my God, nobody could have done that better. I guarantee you, you got to check out his story. Um, okay. You are going to be kind of blown away by it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Well, because he's had, again, but he's like, he's done a lot of theater um, and his very interesting roots. And then he, one of the things that's fascinating is he owned a video camera early on in his career. Yeah. And behind the scenes on a set, he just filmed everything. And then he just packaged oh. it all away and he oh dug it gosh. through uh, to put it together into this documentary. And, you know, he's had cancer, he had throat cancer, so he's pretty much lost his voice, but his son sounds almost like him. Wow. And so he wrote all the narration and had his older son voice him in the movie. I had no idea that Val was actually put together by Val Kill. Yes, it's his that's own doc. It's, you've got to see this movie. Okay, I'll watch it today. That thanks. That's a great recommendation, James. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so that's what I'm leaving you with. Is, uh, see, check out the Cry <laughs> Macho. Check out uh, the Val. And then, of course, check out that body shop for when <laughs> get that coverage because, <laughs> you know, the, the film festival will be waiting. They'll be like, is he going to show up? Is he, <laughs> I thought he was going to be here by now. And what do you think about that series Outlander? I I enjoyed that. I was watching that with a friend. I haven't seen it. I, you know, I recommend it. It's it's really fantastic. It, uh, it's about six six seasons, and I, the, the next season is supposed to come out sometime in twenty two. But it's set in uh, Scotland, and it's you know the war, uh, again a, a war for independence. You know, kind of like Ireland thing. Right. 
Well, this has been enjoyable. Again, the, the, the main thing for you, the listener, is you got to find this outsider movie from 1979. Uh, I really think that it is a very fascinating film. Uh, and again, I just, I love this documentary look. And it's actually by an Argentinian uh, cinematographer, Ricard uh, Aronovich, who shot the, the Costa Gravis movie Missing. He's wonderful. Ricardo Aronovich, amazing talent. Amazing. It has a very, very gritty documentary feel to it. Uh, a big surprise. You should check that out. And also, Body Double is still on Criterion, so you really should check that out, too. And then again, I'm always plugging. I'm hoping one day Criterion listens and puts Four oh, Friends oh, out bless because you, that's the film that, to me, is so good, and people really need to check that out. I really wish that, the, you know, right now, Four Friends is sort of unavailable anywhere. And I don't know why, but it, it it really is a good picture. And I thank you so much, James, for trying to breathe life back into that picture, too. I really appreciate you. Well, I am wishing you the success with your car and then thank a safe you, travel back to Northern California, where I hope to get to uh, meet yeah. you in person in, in February. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the festival. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I'm hoping I can't I can't guarantee I'm going to get there, but I'm really I really feel like I, there's a good shot that I'll be there. I'm looking forward to that. I hope it happens. All right, man. Well, again, I thank you so much uh, for, you know, coming on to my show and then also giving me some music that I can play. That's that. I mean, just in everything that you've offered me, this is so nice. And uh, especially your time. To spend time talking about movies with you, James, is amazing because I so enjoy listening to your podcast. But to actually be part of it and talking to you on your show is, uh, you know, beyond beyond fun. Even after this episode, you know me, I'll be sending you uh, recommendations and things that you should watch and you'll be telling me what you thought of them. And that's what's amazing is that if I, when I send you these things, like when the neo-noir stuff, you, you ended up watching so many of those films that uh, Bill and I recommend it, which is, is crazy. Well, it's a tremendous gift that you offer people, myself obviously included. Every time I listen, I, I go out and I, I see these hidden gems and, uh, and I really appreciate what you're giving in your show, telling people about great films and offering them the opportunity to go see something they didn't even know existed. I appreciate it, brother. And uh, you, the listener, if, uh, of course, you want those types of recommendations as well, personally fed into your email, just uh, send a uh, message to moviemorlock at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to send you some recommendations. Uh, and then also, you know, make sure you tell your friends and subscribe to the Movie Morlock podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on Podbean. Uh, eventually, I'm hoping in the next episode or two, I will have the website all up and running, which is moviemorlock.com. It's just if you click on that you'll get nothing at the moment uh, but i'm working on it and then you will be able to have access to the links to the episodes there as well and whatever content i decide to throw up there uh but anyways my guest has been craig wasson i call him the great craig wasson he doesn't <laughs> like that i don't think but uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to take the praise that i'm going to give you because uh you're you're, you're a big uh influence on my movie going life uh in the 80s and uh and beyond and again i keep rallying hoping that uh that some amazing part comes your way that you'll just say i can't refuse it i've got to do it because it'll be a joy to see you back on the silver screen or i guess my streaming screen because it doesn't <laughs> seem like movies theaters are around anymore bless you james you are the great james kent and i appreciate it yeah i'm sure i mean you can't marvel they, they're always looking for like a, they, everybody's in a marvel movie can't we get craig wasson in as a <laughs> as like a superhero or super villain or somebody's dad or something come on I'm available. Okay, you heard it. Craig Wasson, he's available. Uh, <laughs> all right, Craig, uh, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. You too, brother. Thanks, man. All right. Signing off, this is the Movie Morlock, James Kent. <laughs>